I'm Halima Atta, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Perspective. Happy Saturday, everyone. I'm trying to find different ways to like introduce every single episode because I've been listening to my past couple episodes. I've been listening to my own voice. I know willingly it's really weird, but they all sound the same. Like the introductions all sound the same. I'll be like, I'm Halima Atta. Welcome back to another episode. And I'll be like, so, and I'll start talking about the same thing over and over. So I guess you guys like consistency, but I think it's kind of boring. So this is me trying to think of something different. With that being said, today's personal anecdote is my SAT exam that I just took on Wednesday, this previous Wednesday. And that's why this week has been pretty busy for me, given that I took that on Wednesday. So that's one thing. It literally consumes so much of my time, like prepping for the exam, not even just taking it, like studying was time that I consumed every single day of every single week. So that definitely led to me having to postpone some episodes. But fortunately, it's the weekend. And although that doesn't exempt me from the large amount of work I still have to do, it's always really nice to get a quick break from class. To flash back to my SAT experience, though, the night before I had to go to school physically, you know, in person and take it, I planned what I was going to wear. It wasn't anything special, literally just sweatpants and a crew neck to avoid any future hassles occurring as I would have to wake up really, really early to get ready and leave and stuff like that. Specifically, though, the crew neck I chose to wear was one of those embroidered ones, the one with Nike on the front, like the brand name Nike is embroidered on the front. And there's nothing odd about that sweatshirt itself. But an issue arose when I realized that I had to bring a bag to school, like a little small backpack or something to carry my calculator, stuff like that. See, the small bag that I usually bring to standardize exams with me is a small, like tiny Adidas one. It says Adidas on the well, the back, and it's really convenient for me. Super great. But what made this situation problematic to me is that I would be wearing a crew neck that said Nike on it while wearing a mini backpack that said Adidas on it like two rival brands with very different fan bases. And in retrospect, this should not have been an issue at all, but the Wednesday version of myself was very stressed about it. Like I was, I spent time trying to think of an alternative top to wear or an alternative backpack to bring, all because I didn't want to be viewed as weird or something for wearing two clashing brands together. Ultimately, I ended up wearing that combination and I didn't get bullied relentlessly or anything, so I would say it wasn't too problematic. But people on the internet, or should I say more specifically, users of Quora.com, had much stronger differing opinions than me. After searching up the question, is it okay to wear Nike products and Adidas products at the same time, I came across a response that said, and I quote, Nah, I think one can't dress when I think about it. Sometimes I get caught up thinking this goes well with that, but I avoid that from happening. Essentially, this person was saying that when they observe somebody who's wearing Nike and Adidas within the same outfit, they assume that person has an awful sense of style and can't coordinate anything. Then they went on to admit that they've had outfit ideas that consisted of Nike and Adidas in the same outfit, and despite thinking these outfits looked good, they made sure to actually avoid wearing them out at all costs. And this entire situation got me thinking of something. These brands like Nike and Adidas have buyers so loyal that they follow unofficial rules of fashion to ensure that they obey one of the brands and only one at a time. Bringing these major companies more money and building something like a religion, one which their buyers follow. So on that note, what is the formal name for this observation that I made on Quora.com? And what does it have to do with brands like Nike, Adidas, and others? Continue listening to gain a deeper understanding of that and even more. A term which strongly relates to the situation I just described is called brand religion, also known as brand fanaticism. 
This is something that can be described as a relationship between major brands, corporations, and the large number of loyal customers in which they draw in, causing them to seem something like a cult. Cult brands, and they're unique because of the fanatics that they attract. Dedicated consumers who feel obligated to support them through buying tons of products and following unwritten rules. Unwritten rules like no clashing brands within one outfit. Although this seems like a harmless joke, there are many, many consumers who avoid clashing brands to avoid disobeying this rule and the brands that they're dedicated to, such as that one Quora user who I previously mentioned. And users like these constitute the fan bases of these major brands. These people are the main reason why these brands are able to become so successful, meaning the brand religion model is only efficient if a business is able to draw in enough dedicated customers. To read from an article by Born Social, a cult brand, unlike regular brands, has customers who feel a sense of ownership or vested interest in the brand's popularity and success. Cult brands have achieved a unique connection with customers and are able to create a customer culture that people want to be a part of. The list is endless. Lululemon, Peloton, Gymshark, Game of Thrones, Apple, etc. And this isn't just some internet phenomenon, like something that exists solely on the internet. It's something that I've observed in real life. For example, people feel some kind of allegiance to Nike, to Apple, to huge corporations and brands like that, as if they have some kind of benefit, as if they're going to benefit from purchasing their items and buying their products and supporting them and posting them on social media. It's really weird. But at the same time, I can't really blame people who participate in these kinds of things because it's pretty normalized within society to have one brand that you really love and just to support it regardless of what they do, regardless of if they make products that you don't really like, just to support them just because, to be obedient, to be allegiant. And now that I think about it, it kind of sounds it kind of sounds like a cult, like the basic rules. I don't know if that's what happens in a cult. I, I've never been in one. I hope that you guys have never been in one. But that's kind of what it sounds like, having to buy only Apple products because you're you're an Apple person. And this isn't something I'm just making up right now off the top of my head. It's something that I've observed and something that I've experienced myself. Personally, when I got my laptop, this is a MacBook, when I got it back in like 2020, I just assumed that the laptop I would be receiving because I needed it for school and stuff would be an Apple product because the only other tech products I've ever owned myself were Apple products, my phone, my AirPods, stuff like that. And that's not to like kind of fledge allegiance to Apple, the company, but it's just to showcase that, wow, there's kind of this subconscious drive in at least me, I'm not going to speak for everybody that has an Apple product, but at least within me, that kind of makes me feel inclined or obligated to pay Apple a favor and get all of their products. I can't get an Android if I have an Apple product. I can't get like a PC if I have an iPhone. It's kind of that clashing of brands, but in like tech form, not Nike versus Adidas, but rather Apple and the allegiance that I and a lot of other Apple product owners feel towards it versus other brands. Another good example, as Lululemon continued to gain traction throughout the past five years or so, because they definitely got significantly more popular within the past five years than they ever were before. As they continued to gain traction, the people that bought from them felt some sort of allegiance, some sort of obedience, something that they had to follow. They had to support Lululemon, so much so that they avoid buying leggings at any other brand altogether, given that leggings are one of their most popular items, for example. And the whole brand religion concept becomes even more evident in society when you realize that people who support brands like Lululemon, for example, don't buy Lululemon 
because of the quality alone, but rather for the name brand, for that little logo on the back of the leggings. Because there are many other alternatives to Lululemon with good quality material, affordable pricing, but the name brand has to be there. Lululemon has to be visible in the pants. And that really signifies the large-scale influence of brand religion. But now that we've discussed the consumer, let's talk about the actual brands themselves. The reason why brands don't have an issue with the cult-like obedience of some of their customers is because it directly benefits them. To circle back to that unofficial logo-clashing rule, those who are anti-brand mixing believe that it is imperative for one to wear brands separately, meaning that in a situation where they have a Nike pair of sweatpants and an Adidas shirt, they would much rather purchase a Nike shirt to match their pants or maybe a pair of Adidas sweatpants to match their shirt. But of course, depending on the brand which they choose to buy from, one of those brands will gain an additional sale. And when you take into consideration the amount of fanatics that brands like those have, that one sale becomes a lot more significant. And regardless of whether Nike or Adidas benefits in that hypothetical situation, the fact exists that one of them will ultimately benefit, which just illustrates the economic impact of this sense of obligation that these consumers feel towards the brands that they follow. But I want to circle back to brand fanaticism. More commonly recognized as brand religion, this makes buyers feel emotionally connected to corporations on both a large and small scale. Take the Nike sneaker drops, for example. People literally line up outside of stores or wait in virtual lines to snag a pair of relatively expensive shoes, which many of these buyers don't aim to wear like a regular shoe. They instead will rarely wear them the way that they were intended to be worn in order to preserve its perfection. And in other scenarios, resellers will do their notorious job through reselling these products for higher prices, making a product by capitalizing off of brand fanatics. And what this does is bring about the concept of exclusivity. It promotes exclusivity. And to mention those sneaker drops again, not everyone is able to get their hands on a pair, meaning those who are able to get one feel especially tied to these companies like Nike and really just whatever brands hold these kinds of limited drop collections. Another example of this promotion of exclusivity within brands can be incentive clubs within certain companies. For example, when you go to a clothing store, most stores in general have incentive clubs for people that are quote-unquote members. That term in itself, one, is another example of being exclusive. You're not just a normal shopper. You're not just a normal consumer. You're a member of this particular store or company or brand. Even though you're not an employee there, you really have no vested interest in the brand. If anything, you're only losing money to that brand. Being a member is something that makes you feel exclusive. It makes you feel like you're obligated to support that company, that brand, or that corporation. I think a good example of this could be the Club Cali, like incentive member-oriented club from Hollister, that clothing brand. What they do is basically you're able to sign up for just completely free, no price at all, and you're a member of Club Cali. You feel exclusive. You're not just a normal shopper at Hollister. You're a Club Cali member. And what happens through this club is you'll periodically receive cool perks like coupons and announcements ahead of time before the general population, etc. And it really just makes you feel special. Very, It's very exclusive. But another catch is that there is a minimum amount of money that you have to spend in order to be upgraded to the next member level. So I think it was about like $250 or $300 they had to spend within a year, within the time frame of one year, and you'll be upgraded to another member level, which makes you feel, yet again, very exclusive. So this promise of exclusivity that Hollister promises to its members, its Club Cali members, is what serves as an incentive for them to continue buying, to continue spending money at this corporation. 
these customers really have no vested interest in the brand. Getting a couple 10% off coupons is not enough to be a major sign of vested interest. It's just a coupon that the average consumer can get from literally any store. But because you're a member of that particular club, Club Cali, you feel ex- it feels exclusive. You feel like you're obligated to support Hollister. So to put it briefly, these incentive clubs, such as Club Cali, for example, through Hollister, they foster exclusivity, which leads to more dedicated customers, which leads to more sales and, in turn, economic success for these big name brands. And I think this detail really helps differentiate the average customer from a brand fanatic. One is a lot less attached to a corporation, willing to bend the unofficial rules such as the one I mentioned earlier about brand logo mixing, but still somebody who enjoys this particular brand's products. A brand fanatic, conversely, feels an obligation to support this corporation, going to the greatest possible lengths to do this, even if it means spending a lot of money within a pretty short time frame to be upgraded from one member level to another. And that's something that I found really interesting about this entire concept of brand fanaticism. The optimal customer from a brand's perspective is one who is a brand fanatic. Somebody who is obsessed with a certain brand, with supporting them, who feels obligated to support them, despite having absolutely no vested interest in the brand. Like, although it makes sense that this type of person is the optimal consumer for brands because they garner them more money than the average consumer, You would think that if a brand noticed that it attracted a fan base that basically followed them like some sort of religion, they wouldn't encourage that. But when you search up brand religion, dozens of articles pop up which aim to assist small brands, medium-sized brands, in building a brand religion of their own in order to garner more sales. So you can kind of consider brand religion to be a business model, a strategy which businesses, companies use to grow their fan base and to garner more profit or economic success in the long run. But what all of this ties into is a concept that has existed way before Nike, Adidas, Lululemon, Apple, and all of these other major brand religions did. This is something called commodity fetishism, a term coined by Karl Marx. This refers to the belief that humans disregard the labor that goes into producing commodities or items. Instead, we tend to replace this value with something intrinsic, assigning qualities to these inanimate objects in order to give them value. So to put it in simple terms, commodity fetishism is a belief that an object's value comes from the qualities people assign to it, rather than the human labor that created it. For example, Nike shoes. What makes them better than Adidas shoes? Or Under Armour shoes? Nothing really. They're made of the same materials, they all have pretty cool designs, but one thing makes Nike appear super different. The value that people put into them. See, Nike is associated with winning, success, and determination. But that Nike swoosh, which demonstrates accomplishment, symbolizes a lot more. When those commercials say, just do it, they're characterizing their sneakers as being successful. In reality, those shoes aren't determined. The sneakers themselves aren't successful. It's the athletes who perform well in them that cause consumers to assimilate Nike with success. A prime example of commodity fetishism and leading to Nike getting a lot more business. So really, this whole concept relates to consumer capitalism where people support businesses through purchasing products, giving value to the products themselves. And what this does is make brand religions like Apple, Nike, and others successful while bringing a culture shift, a shift in the way that we view people. For example, the phrase, I'm an Android type of person or I'm an Apple type of person. While those seem to be the basis of harmless internet memes and jokes, they actually signify the culture shift that brand fanaticism and commodity fetishism can bring. 
Personally, when I hear people characterize others or even themselves as an Apple person or an Android type person or a Lululemon person versus an American Eagle person, or is it, it's called Aerie, I think, but stuff like that, I tend to assign characteristics to these people automatically solely based off of the brands that they follow. You look like an Android user or you look like an Apple user. One has a positive connotation and the other has a negative connotation, despite the fact that human labor was put into creating both of those products. And it's really weird, but it's a very clear sign of the efficiency of brand religion and commodity fetishism. When people characterize themselves as Apple fans or as Apple, as Apple users, it tends to have a more positive connotation, and it leads to a lot of people wanting to be associated with those positive adjectives. Nobody wants to be an Android type person. Everyone wants to be an Apple type person. No one wants to be the least popular brand. We want to be associated with the really popular one, the one that's currently trending or the one that's gaining traction. So it causes people to characterize themselves based on the products that they use, disregarding the very valuable human labor that went into creating them and causing brand religions like Nike and Lululemon, Apple to gain an even bigger following and thus economic success which perfectly demonstrates how brand religion and commodity fetishism work in tandem. But with the examples of these concepts already established early in the episode, it makes me wonder, is this a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to be a brand fanatic to follow a brand religion? Personally, I don't think so. Being a brand fanatic can be thought of as some sort of personality trait, with buying products from a certain company that you really admire being a hobby. Not to mention, a lot of these brand religions, like Nike, which I mentioned several times throughout the episode, are trending right now. I know Nike's always been a huge corporation, a huge company brand that a lot of people have always liked, but right now, in particular, I think it's trending a lot more, which leads a lot more people to buy their products, and I'm seeing a rise in brand fanatics, people that follow this brand religion, in this moment, like in this day and age. And when you think about it, it's really not that harmless. Trends come and go every single year, even on a monthly basis. And the fact that many people participate in them every single time, that just shows that we're humans. Human beings do things as a community. And a lot of people tend to like Nike sneakers. So that's a new, it's, it's creating a rise of brand fanatics within that one particular company. So when I compare these brand religions to something like a cult, it's not a direct comparison. Obviously, you can't compare apples to oranges or bananas to oranges, whichever, I don't know which example it is, but you can't compare two different fruits to each other. Meaning, I don't think that anybody is going to put their life on the line to save to save Nike. I don't think anybody truly is a genuine brand fanatic. People are very attached to brands that don't really care about them or their existence, but I wouldn't say that that is very cult-like. So it's really just an exaggeration. But brand fanatics do exist, and brand fanaticism is definitely a thing. But I see it more of being a trend rather than one solid concept that will be here forever. It's a business model that a lot of companies use to make themselves trend, not to make themselves successful immediately. They want to become trendy so that more people will buy their products and so that they'll reach economic success. So while this is a business model, while brand religion is a business model, it's more so of a trend, to me at least. I hope my explanation made sense, but if it didn't, the main takeaway is that humans follow trends. And as brands become more popular or relevant, it leads to a rise in brand fanatics. But that isn't to say that just liking a brand's products makes you one of those followers. You can buy whatever products you want from any brand without being overly obsessive. That was definitely a much more concise way of putting it. With that being said, I hope you were able to take a lot away from this episode. I learned a lot more about Nike. Nike I mentioned 
way too much during this episode, but it's really a great example of commodity fetishism. Who would have thought? But anyways, I really hope you're able to learn something new about this, maybe discover some of your own thinking patterns that you never really acknowledge within yourself. As always, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I'll see you next week here on A Little Perspective. (laughs) 